This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Royal Caribbean's Navigator of the Seas this week. Also, staff writer Richard Sims is on deck with this week's cruise news. And don't forget about the Cruise Radio Patreon found at patreon.com slash cruise radio. You can hear the show early, behind the scenes goodies, and uh, that monthly postcard from a cruise port around the world. In fact, I was riding them on the plane. And so when I left Amsterdam and landed in Atlanta, like I guess nine hours later or so, my hand was pretty much numb, but well worth it. So if you're supporting on there, thank you so much. If you'd like to, patreon.com slash cruise radio. All right, staff writer Richard Sims, what's up? Hey, Douglas. So MSE Cruises failed a CDC inspection. Not just failing it, though. They failed it pretty miserably. You know, if you're going to do something, go big or go home, right? right? This isn't the kind of thing we like to report, but it's also something we really haven't found ourselves having to report all that often in the last year or two. I feel like I feel like a while back, like maybe three years ago, there was a phase where a lot of ships were failing their um, inspections. You know, it was just it was just it was fairly regular, but we haven't seen much of that lately. But last month, MSC Seaside not only failed its CDC health inspection, but did so pretty spectacularly. Now, these inspections are not scheduled, which is done by design so that the crew can't run around fixing problems before the inspector's board. In order to pass, a ship needs to score at least 87 out of 100 points. Uh, in this case, Seaside scored a 67. Now, when you look at the list of violations for any ship, and almost every ship, even ones that pass, will have at least a couple of violations. It's not at all unusual. And they usually involve food-related issues. It'll be things like, you know, there were flies on the fruit, or there were, you know, tongs that shouldn't have in a place where they shouldn't have been, that kind of thing. And there were definitely several of those in this case. But there were others as well, including several bathrooms being out of soap, which, of course, is huge in this day and age. And oddly... The number of crew and passengers reported as being on board didn't match the number that were actually on board. I don't really know how that happens. That's that's an odd one. They'll have to rectify these problems and there will be a follow-up inspection, also unannounced, which will, you know, fingers crossed, have a better result. One thing a lot of people don't know is that the cruise lines actually have to pay for these inspections themselves and how much they pay depends on you know, how how big the ship is, how much it weighs, essentially. In this case, uh, Seaside is one of the biggest ships out there, and it comes with the biggest price tag, at least the biggest price tag currently, and that is just north of $24,000 per inspection. Not only are we going to fail you, you're going to pay us twenty four grand. <laughs> exactly. It's a good system, right? Nice work if you can get it. This next one is a crazy one. The FBI has arrested a Royal Caribbean guest. This is deeply disturbing, no matter how you look at it. Uh, A passenger aboard Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas put a camera in a bathroom, and this bathroom was located at the back of the ship near the flow rider, and there's also a bar right next door. So as you can imagine, it gets a lot of traffic, not just from people using the bathroom, but also from people going in there to change. You know, maybe you're changing before or after the flow rider, that kind of thing. 
Another passenger noticed the camera about a day after it was placed and reported it. And this led to the arrest of a man named Jeremy Froyus. And I may be pronouncing that wrong, but we're going to go with it. He allegedly admitted to having placed the camera, which captured hours of people using the facilities. And ironically, it also captured him actually placing the camera. Yes, he caught himself on film. He's been charged by the FBI with video voyeurism and attempted possession of child exploitation material because obviously a lot of what was captured on there was kids. He's been released on a $25,000 bond by a judge pending trial. No date on, no word on when the trial will be, but um, this is something we'll definitely update moving forward. But it's just, it's just one of those gross stories that you hate having to report. Man, a lot of interesting stories this week. This next one, too. A man was airlifted from a carnival ship over the weekend for a bizarre reason. This is insane, and I really want there to be a follow-up on this. I don't think we're ever going to get one, but I really want there to be one. So the Coast Guard was called to medevac a passenger off the Carnival Dream out of Galveston. That, in and of itself, not unusual. Not unusual at all. What is unusual is that it appears the guy was suffering from gastrointestinal distress, but not because of neurovirus or, you know, he went up to the buffet and ate too much. No, it was because at some point he ate a battery. Uh, nobody knows why, nobody knows how, nobody knows if it happened before he got on the ship, after he got on the ship. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume he didn't, like, you know, it's not like he chowed down on it in the buffet, you know, like he was having pasta and somehow a battery got into it. Pretty sure that's not how it happened. Anyway, the ship was about 50 miles from Galveston, which is the port from which it had set sail, when he had to be airlifted off. And here's hoping... As we always say, that he had, you know, travel insurance. Although, I don't know, does travel insurance cover eight a battery? <laughs> I have no clue. We can't get a straight answer out of what really happened. I mean, it could have been something as simple as a, what, a hearing aid battery, or it could be a, a double A. Who knows, right? I guess. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. And like I said, I don't think we will ever know. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the kind of thing where we don't even know the person's name. So it's not like you can sort of do, you know, do it, do it, hire a private detective and find out if we were that <laughs> curious. So, oh, well. Yeah. The, uh, Norwegian Cruise Line, though, they are doing their giving joy contest again for the fourth year in a row now here is a nice story as you said it's the fourth year in a row um this is this is a great contest that norwegian does where basically you can nominate a teacher from anywhere in the u.s or canada and over the course of um the the contest people go online they go to nclgivingjoy.com and they get to vote on teachers who they think are deserving of recognition. And public the public can nominate any certified or accredited teacher in the U.S. or Canada. The top 20 vote-getters across who are entered, the ones with the most votes get a seven-day cruise for two. And in addition, the top three grand prize winners are invited to the christening and the uh, first voyage of Norwegian Viva when it launches later this year. Of course, that'll be during the school year, so they're going to have to take some <laughs> Ironically, they will have to take some time off <laughs> in order to enjoy this, but it's such an amazing thing. Uh, you know, we always like when we get to report about the good stuff 
cruise lines do, whether it's, you know, Carnival raising money for St. Jude, or in this case, you know, just, just teachers being recognized. So again, if you have a teacher that you think deserves recognition, head over to nclgivingjoy.com and nominate them and then make sure to get, you know, everybody to go in and vote. What's also kind of cool to see, man, is that this only launched a couple of days ago. And when I was writing the news for um, the news briefs on, I guess it was Wednesday morning, there were 8,000 people already registered for it. So as of right now, the time of recording on Wednesday, there is 15,343 registered. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing that. Yeah, such a, such a cool thing there NCL's doing. But not cool what Royal Caribbean's doing, because they had another oversold ship. What is up with this? I feel like we shoved the teacher. The teacher story is very normal, and it's kind of like caught up in the midst of all this bizarre news. Um, (laughs) But here's another weird one. So a week ago, we reported that Allure of the Seas was oversold for its departure that was supposed to take place on April 30th. This was not the first time that Royal has had this issue, and as it turned out, it wasn't going to be the last. They once again have been reaching out to people about uh, the cruise being canceled again on Allure of the Seas. They're overbooked and they're looking for people to, you know, basically give up their cruise. And they're, as before, they're having to offer some pretty great incentives in order to get people to do this. And there's a couple different options, which really aren't important to our listeners unless they happen to be booked on this and they probably already know about it. But basically they're given options like they can select there are a couple of sailings on Voyager of the Seas that they can select, and if they choose that, they get a hundred percent refund from their original cruise plus three hundred dollars of onboard credit they can use on Voyager. They also can do the lift and shift. There's a couple of available dates on this same ship where they can just basically take their reservation and move it over to those. If they do that, they don't get any additional onboard credit or refund or anything like that because it's basically the same cruise on the same ship. The final option, which you know was probably what I would go with, is they can cancel and get a full refund plus a 100% future cruise credit. The one thing they're not getting, and we certainly aren't getting, is an answer as to why this <laughs> keeps happening. I have to assume somebody at Royal is going to, you know, when they, when they figure out what's going on, somebody's going to get fired because this is just, this is not a good look. And for it to happen repeatedly, it's one thing, you know, you, everybody makes mistakes. It's one thing to, to have it happen once, maybe even twice. But at this point, I mean, if we do this again next week, we're just going to cut and paste this exact news segment into <laughs> this place because that seems to be what's happening. But also, I guess it could be asked too, Richard, like, are the cruise lines going the way of the airlines and overselling things on purpose? Because also it hasn't been reported yet, but I got a listener email just waiting to verify it, that Carnival overbooked a sailing on the legend for next weekend. I, yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, interestingly, you know, you mentioned the airlines. It's in the news right now as we are uh, speaking that uh, there is legislation being pushed through to make airlines more responsible uh, and have to, you know, take responsibility and pay higher fees and things when this kind of thing happens. If it's a mistake that was avoidable, if it's something that the airlines could have avoided and you wind up having to stay overnight in a hotel and you have to, you know, have meals and whatever, 
they're moving to make sure that you are reimbursed for this. So, and you know, we're heading into the summer season, which is a very, very heavily trafficked season, both for airlines and cruise lines. So yeah, I, I Royal really needs to figure this out. And, and the other lines, I mean, again, you know, you mentioned that it happened with carnival. Okay. It happened once that can happen, Mm -hmm. you know, no big deal. Now let's hope that they don't come back and pull a, we'll call it pulling a Royal and do it three or four times in the next few weeks. Well, if you're sailing out of Long Beach, California on the West Coast, there's some good news. You have a more affordable hotel option now. Yeah, I love this. The Queen Mary. Now, the, um, the Queen Mary has been docked in L.A. for years and years and years. Um, if you happen to be a soap opera fan, which you know, I, my, I, I, I run a soap opera website, so I do actually know these things. Um, they actually filmed episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful on the ship while it was docked there. But about three years ago, the ship was closed down. It was being used as a hotel, but it had to be closed because, well, first there was COVID, and then there were also... Um, massive renovations that needed to be made. And they were the kind of renovations where it really wasn't going to be safe for people to be on the ship while they were making them. So it's been closed down for a while, but it's finally opened back up. And it's a lot cheaper than you might expect. It's certainly cheaper than staying in a New York City hotel. The prices range from, for an inside stateroom, it's around $169, all the way up to a full suite for $519 a night. And, you know, just the idea of being able to say say you stayed on this classic ocean liner, you know, which kind of all of the decor throughout is sort of very evocative of the 1930s, 40s, that era. Uh, the portholes apparently opened, which I don't know if they did when the ship was actually sailing. That seems like it's a bad idea on a sailing ship. But, you know, once it's docked, I guess it's OK. But the whole experience just sounds very cool. I feel like haven't you been haven't you been on the Queen Mary? Yeah, right before the industry shut down, Ashley and I stayed on there for a night after a princess cruise or a Norwegian cruise on the West Coast. And it was really cool because especially like comparing it to the Doubletree Hotel, which is just an eye shot past that, you're paying around three fifty nine a night for a room in the double or the uh, Queen Mary was like. I think we pay like 129 for a regular standard room. And also awesome, the toilets are regular toilets. They don't make the when you flush it. <laughs> so. But do, but do they have real shower curtains? Do they have shower curtains or real barriers? Uh, well, they're shower curtains. We're talking to a hotel. We're talking about a ship built what 50, 60, 70 years ago. So <laughs> yeah, all right. I guess I can put up with it the, yeah. under that particular circumstance. So a listener question here comes from Scott this week. He said, good morning, Doug. Thank you for everything you do. I always enjoy your shows. I was curious how the cruise industry responded to the terrorist attacks on September 11th and how the industry was impacted in the months after when people weren't traveling. That's a really good question, Um, you know, because other than COVID, it's probably the 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 one time in or the one other time in recent history that the travel industry as a whole was so heavily impacted, you know, because it wasn't just cruising, obviously it was, you know, airlines. We just, as a country, we had this moment where we sort of stopped and thought, okay, how do we prevent this from happening again? Um, It also, people became afraid. So there was a really sharp decline in consumer confidence. And that meant that there were a lot fewer people traveling. So the cruise lines definitely, definitely took a hit. There was a drop in bookings because people were very concerned about their security. 
Uh, several cruise lines went out of business. Other big lines like, you know, Carnival and Royal and Nor Norwegian, they saw their stock prices drop, just like we did with COVID. In the case of 9-11, Carnival stock went from $29.31 before 9-11 uh, to $16.95 a share after. It took a while, but, you know, the cruise lines knew what to do. They jumped into action and they put new security measures in place, um, both in ports and on boards, in order to, you know, give passengers back that sense of security and that sense of confidence that they had lost and that we as a country had lost in our everyday lives. They also had to do some, you know, big, heavy discounts, and they were a little more flexible with their cancellation pro pro uh, excuse me, cancellation policies. Uh, they mounted new marketing campaigns to try and, you know, let people know about the changes they were making. And it's just like after COVID, it proved the, the cruise industry proved itself very resilient and they regained their momentum. It really was a it was an effort, though. I mean, they had to really work closely with national and international authorities to make sure that the security protocols they were putting in place weren't just here in the United States where, you know, where this fear was running rampant, but also in the places that they were going to visit, in the ports that they were going to visit. People needed to know that and feel like it was safe to travel again. And, you know, we saw that same thing taking place at airports where, you know, we put a lot of new security measures in line that hadn't existed before. So, yeah, really, really great question. Um, uh, but, it, you know, it, it was yet another incident that proved that when it comes to the cruise line, you know, it might take a temporary blow, but but eventually it rises back up again. I was in an English composition class, um, I think the semester after 9-11. And I remember like our composition classroom or studio, whatever you want to call it, we each had our computer and so the teacher was giving a lecture, and of course, we were all tuned out and kind of surfing the web and all that. And I remember coming across an article, and it was like on maybe travel at AOL back then, or even Yahoo or something, but it was saying that the cruise lines were only, a lot of them were only sailing at 50 to 60% capacity, and also that because they were discounting so heavily, the smaller cruise lines like Premier, Commodore, Crown Cruises they went out of business because they didn't have the brand awareness that let's just say Carnival has. So they couldn't discount any further. They were already rock bottom, which just drove them out of business. Easily. All right. I'll let you hop here. Staff writer Richard Sims, as always, thank you, my friend. As always, glad to be here. Do you have a story or a tip to report? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Yeah. 
Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. So a few months ago, Jeff sailed on Royal Caribbean's Navigator of the Seas, but something interesting happened. The three-night cruise got extended to a seven-night cruise, and he's here to talk all about it. Jeff, welcome to the show. Give us some pre-cruise thoughts on this one. Sounds interesting. Well, I I think I won the cruise lottery, Doug, (laughs) because we originally booked a three-night cruise out of Los Angeles just to go down to Ensenada for a night and come back up. And then our travel agent sent me an email and said that Royal had merged it with the four-night cruise that was supposed to happen afterwards. And so we got seven nights for the price of three. They didn't charge us anything extra. So lucky us. It was an early Christmas present, I think. Did you get any color behind that, why they actually merged the two? I think it was just lack of sales, if I'm being honest, because we were able to get an incredible rate for a balcony cabin on this cruise. And when I would look on occasion just to see, you know... Are the rooms next to us taken? Just occasionally I like to look. It looked as though the ship was pretty empty. So even with the merging of the two cruises, the ship capacity was, I think they told us, 2,400. Wow. Pretty, pretty light. Yeah, because the Navigator is right at 4,000 if all the berths are full. This felt like uh, cruising right after the startup with the ship being almost empty. Yeah, very nice. So uh, you're out on the East Coast. You made your way over to Los Angeles to board Navigator of the Seas. Did you do any pre-cruise time in L.A. before the sailing? Yeah, we did. So the, the reason we booked this particular cruise on Navigator is because my friend that I traveled with, he and I are really big Tiki fans. So when we learned about Royal Caribbean's Bamboo Room on Navigator and Mariner, we we decided we had to like go check out a Tiki bar at sea. It kind of put together two of our loves. So when we went out, we stayed in Long Beach the night before and went out to a couple of the Tiki bars in Long Beach, uh, which was really a blast. There's a place called the Bamboo Club. And if any of your listeners are into tiki, it's new, but it feels like a good old throwback to mid-century bar. Nice. Did you uh, do any Disney tiki while you're out there? After the cruise, we did. We wound up going to Disneyland after the cruise. So I can tell you about that. But yeah, we're big Trader Sam's fans, yeah. big fans of going up to the Bay Area and hitting all the bars up there. So this was this was a blast. And we wound up staying at the um, Hyatt Regency Long Beach right there on the marina. Mm-hmm. And we had an awesome view, like perfect, unobstructed view of the Queen Mary yeah. right across the way. So it's just a great way to start off the cruise. Yeah, for sure. So you make your way to the cruise pier, the, I think it's the World Cruise Center over there in L.A. for Navigator of the Seas. How was embarkation for you? So embarkation, once it got going, was pretty smooth. We expected a lot more traffic just to get over there. So we budgeted a little more time than we needed. We were a bit early to the port. And before they open, it's Long Beach is not really set up to handle a crowd once they get going. So at first, we tried. We had done Royal Up. By the way, we were able to Royal Up into a junior suite for really like next to nothing. So they wouldn't let us into the suite line outside, but once we were inside, we jumped into the suite line. I would say once the line started moving, probably less than 10 minutes uh, before we were on the ship. Dude, you just hit the lottery all around, man. You you, you yeah. leveled up for a, a junior suite for a three-night, and you got a seven-night in there. Gosh, man, what could have gone wrong on this sailing? That's very cool. Very, I know, very, I know. Very it, was, it worked out. <laughs> so you make, your way, you make your way on board Navigator. What were your first impressions of this one? We had been on Explorer of the Seas before. We took that up to Alaska a few years back. So I was familiar with the class of ship. 
but seeing it after the amplification was awesome they had all the christmas decorations up so as soon as we walked in we looked up into the royal promenade and saw the huge christmas tree went straight to our our muster station got that out of the way and i would say just right off the bat six years ago we felt like explorer of the seas looked a little bit you know worn in we did not feel that at all with Navigator. Navigator looked pristine. Every surface was gleaming. It looked like a new ship. It was fantastic. You mentioned that you booked a junior suite on this sailing. What did you think of it throughout the week? It's really cool. I mean, you hear the word suite and you might get some ideas in your mind that you're going to have a fancy trip, but it's really just sort of like a small hotel room. There's um, some upgraded bath amenities and we were able to get on the ship a little faster. But having the extra space was fantastic, you know, to, to stretch out. The balcony was a little bit bigger. We were right in midship. So the location was great. But yeah, it was a good room. And, and I mean, for the price, you can't beat it. So the upgrade you got with the Royal Up program, was that a good deal compared to what you would have paid if you just bought the rack rate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did the lowest bid and it got accepted. I wasn't expecting it to get accepted, but I thought since we paid so little for the cruise, we may as well give it a shot. And uh, I would say maybe two weeks after I put the bid in, it was accepted. So, I mean, all around, this turned out to be just a value cruise up and down. And another thing, you know, with the the extension to the seven nights is we had already booked the unlimited dining plan for the three night cruise. And they extended that also to the seven nights at no additional cost. Very cool. So let's talk about the dining on board Navigator. We'll start up at the top at the Windjammer. How was that? This was the one spot on the ship that always felt packed. And I'm not sure exactly what it was. They They had both sides open. But the crowds were pretty intense in there. But that said, I would say the food in this Windjammer was one of the better ones that I've seen on Royal. Especially this was a really Indian heavy crew. And the Indian food was fantastic, top to bottom. And I think you hear that a lot with Royal Caribbean. They they definitely know how to how to handle Indian food in the buffet. The grill, you know, sometimes you go to the grill and the buffets on the ships and and the food can look like maybe it's been sitting there a little while. We never saw that. Everything was really fresh. And yeah, I mean, I I think to the one thing I would shout out is that the servers in this Windjammer were especially friendly. Everybody really just took the time to come over, have a smile. And uh, and the drink turnaround was really quick. If you ordered a drink from a, a server, they had that to you in just a minute or two. Very good. How about the main dining room? What time dining did you have and how was your experience in there throughout the week? Yeah, so we we did uh, my time dining. We tend to be like the flexibility in case we're in port late or in case we want to catch a show later in the day. We didn't go to the main dining room much for dinner. We went one night uh, because we had the unlimited dining plan. And it was the best main dining room food quality I've ever had on Royal. My friend got steak Diane, I got, you know, a shrimp dish and everything was really fresh. Everything felt like it was cooked to order. Didn't feel like anything was, you know, sitting under a heat lamp. The service was a lot faster than I'm used to for the main dining room also, which was really nice. And it was beautiful. They have the traditional main dining room with the big chandelier and the big swooping staircase. So it's just a gorgeous place to have dinner. And you booked the, uh, you mentioned you had the dining package for your first cruise and they extended it through the, the whole week. So what specialty restaurants did you dine through throughout the seven nights? 
We did them all. So we're big fans of chops. And so we had to get in chops a couple of times, have our steak, have our uh, strips of bacon and our mushroom soup and all, all the good stuff that they have at chops. This was a fantastic experience with chops. I think that this seemed to be where most of the people were. Chops was always really busy. Sometimes we would have to wait a little bit longer than our reservation time. So I think that just speaks to the popularity of chops in general with the royal ships. So great experience there. We had fantastic waiters each time we went. And yeah, we also went to Izumi, checked out the sushi up there. You know, Izumi was interesting. The the service was lightning fast there. Again, I think, you know, the the lack of capacity on this ship probably came through a lot in the dining. (laughs) I think uh, dining service in general just went a lot faster than what we're used to. But again, you know, fantastic food, really love the rolls. My friend doesn't eat seafood, so he's always getting the chicken teriyaki and the the sort of fried chicken appetizer that they have. He loves it. He had a great time, too. Does Izumi have the teppanyaki tables in there? No, not on this class of okay. ship. It's just the sushi bar. Yeah. Yeah. We had done that on Oasis, though. Um, it, that's so much fun, you know. Very nice. Uh, so Chops, Azumi. what else did you hit? We went to the Hooked Seafood uh, restaurant. And that's, you know, the one restaurant there's usually Azumi and Chops on every ship and then a couple different ones. But Hooked, I have to say, this was the, the big miss of the cruise. We had two reservations booked up. You know, we got on the ship, did all of our dining reservations. We went to Hooked, I think, on the second day. It was so terrible, Doug. Like... Oh. <laughs> It was awful. Everything about it was was bad. So we wound up canceling our second reservation for that. Yeah, I don't know. The, the fish didn't feel fresh. There was a bit of a smell in there. It was cold and rubbery. My friend got some chicken that was kind of like Subway chicken patties. So that was a bit of a turnoff. The texture was strange. The temperatures were a little off. There was some coleslaw that was literally just shredded cabbage out of a bag, no mayo, nothing, no nothing on it. So we felt one was enough for Hooked. Right. Wow. Yeah. With Hooked, is that like for lunch and dinner, is it the same menu or is it a modified menu at lunchtime? Dinner is the same menu as lunch plus a few more options. So I think uh, for dinner, you can get twin lobster tails. You know, there's a couple like higher end items, but I would assume all the dishes that they have are the same quality from lunch to dinner. Gotcha. I like it when the cruise lines really try to act bougie and say dueling lobster tails. <laughs> <laughs> dueling lobster tails, yeah. like dueling pianos. <laughs> I can play a little tune on the tail. Right. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Oh, I, uh, I'm three. not too familiar with Navigator of the Seas. So uh, any other specialties that you hit on this one? Yeah, we did um, Jamie's Italian, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I, I just love the Jamie's Italian restaurant concept. And I like that they're they're converting some of the other uh, Italian restaurants to that style on the other classes. But Jamie's was great. All the pasta is fresh made every day. And they have, if anybody's had it, you'll know, they have this lemon cheesecake at Jamie's Italian that honestly might be the best dessert in the entire world. Like we were dreaming of this. We had been on Jamie's on Anthem of the Seas earlier in the year. And like the whole year we were just, oh, we got to get to Jamie's. We got to have that lemon cheesecake again. Yeah. I did it on Odyssey of the Seas. Solid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Solid, solid, solid. Does this one have a Sorrento's on it? This one does. It's well, it's not a standalone Sorrento's. It's Mm -hmm. part of the Promenade Cafe. And I'm addicted to Sorrento's pizza. I could probably eat, you know. 
seven or eight slices of that every day and be fine. So we definitely hit up Sorrento's for a little snack each day, you know, after dinner snack, little midnight snack. The line for pizza was probably the next longest line on the ship. I mean, there was usually like a, you know, five minute wait, which is really not much, but Definitely popular, this promenade cafe. I love it when you're in a in the pizza line on a ship and it's like a let's just say it's a five or ten minute wait and people act like you just stole their diamond ring or their you wrecked their car or something like that. They're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you know, that is a big difference of sailing out of the West Coast versus the East Coast is uh People were so laid back on this cruise. They had the California chill. Awesome. I think that, yeah. and almost everybody we talked to was from either Vegas, San Diego, or the LA area. Yeah, we need that over in Miami. <laughs> yeah, California for sure. Chill, for sure. Well, especially, especially out of New York. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that too. Yeah, absolutely. Does that wrap up the specialty dining there? Yeah, they have um, El Loco Fresh on this one, mm-hmm. the uh, kind of buffet Mexican, uh, which is really good you know it's it's a great you know addition to all the options there we hit that up uh one day when we came back and didn't want to deal with the wind jammer line so it was really quick to get through the line at a loco fresh and i love it they have the toppings bar there you can put yeah. as much guacamole as you want it's yeah. not like chipotle guac is an extra very nice so how was the entertainment on this seven night cruise it was really good there was one incident at the pub guitar player got sick and so she was listed the first night wasn't able to go on they put her on the compass again the second night and uh then after that they just struck it so i don't know if it was just cold covid whatever it was but she wasn't able to perform but in the schooner bar we had a great piano player had a lot of fun the ice show on this particular ship was one of the better ones. It starts with a really cool drone show over the ice rink. Mm-hmm. And everything was sort of based on like technology. That was the theme of this show. And I'm always amazed. Those ice skaters are so incredible. The fact that they can do that on a moving ship is just mind blowing. And this is definitely one of the better ones. You know, in the main theater, we did some of the main stage shows. There was a showgirl show that we were kind of laughing about going and we're like, oh, this is going to be kind of cheesy, but it was actually really good. And I'm a big theater goer, so I tend to like judge the shows a little harshly because I'm judging them against like New York shows. But this one was really awesome, really high quality. Very cool. And of course, you were talking about your big Tiki Bar fan. So did that uh, did that quench your thirst? Absolutely. We lived in the bamboo room. We had just the best bartender in the world. Like this guy, Caleb ran the bar and he had so much fun. He was making rainbow shots every night and everybody's hooting, hollering, laughing, screaming. We had a great time. All the drinks were, were fantastic. By like day three, he was making custom drinks for half the people there. So they really went above and beyond the staff in that particular bar. And yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Like if if anybody is a fan of rum drinks, the Bamboo Room is the place to be. They're really good Mai Tais, really good Saturns, Planter Punch, all the kind of tiki standards. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Very nice. So let's talk about the sea days on board. You mentioned it was about half full or so. So how was the ship on sea days as far as crowds and congestion? You know, our first one, we went from L.A. down the coast to our first port. And the first sea day did feel a little crowded. And our first port was Cabo. And I swear after that, like half the ship stayed in Cabo. Because after that, there was never a soul in the promenade. It was You would just walk up and down the promenade with no 
no problems. You never bumping into anybody. The pool deck was, it was always easy to find a chair. There were lots of empty chairs. The solarium had tons of room in the hot tub. So really no complaints about the crowds at all. Did you guys on this three night that turned or I'm sorry, Jeff, was it a three night you originally had booked or a four night? It was originally a three night. Okay. So then it turned into a seven night because they added the, they merged the four nights. So on this one, did you have any like double dips in Ensenada or anything? No, the the original cruise was down to Ensenada and back. Mm-hmm. But when they merged it, they eliminated Ensenada itself as a port. And we went straight down to Cabo and then down the Mexican Riviera over to Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta. Let's talk about those ports of call. So you said you went to Cabo first. Did you do anything in particular? We didn't. You know, our, our hope for Cabo was to see the beautiful archway, the stone archway into the sea. And where it's a tender port and where we anchored, our room looked straight at the arch. So it was it was perfect. You know, we could sit on the balcony and watch the sunset. That was the excursion we were hoping to do. We were hoping to get off at the port and book a sunset cruise over to the arch. And once we saw what our view was, we decided to just stay on the ship rather than deal with the tender. Mm. But it was beautiful view. We had the ship all to ourselves. We used that day mainly to to hang out in the solarium and just chill in the hot tub, read a book up in the lounge and have a great time. And uh, that was where I really felt like by that night, I think we might have left half the ship in Cabo. It, it never got full ever again after that. And to this day, they are still there partying. They are. They're still there. They're they're chilling in the water over there by the arch, enjoying those beautiful sunsets. Was Mazatlan next? Mazatlan, yeah. Mazatlan was, uh, I think, the next day. And uh, we decided to just tour on our own. I know right now in Sinaloa, there's some travel restrictions that the State Department just put in place. I would say, you know, we never felt even the least bit unsafe down in El Centro, the portion of Mazatlan where the ship docks. We went over, they have a beautiful old colonial style cathedral. We went and found a terrific place to to grab brunch called um, Totem, which had some of the best food I've ever had. It was fantastic. And we did a little shopping and then they've got... Over on the beach, Doug, they have this really great Best Western that you can go into, even if you're not staying there, you can go up to the rooftop. They have a pool and a bar up there and just these incredible 360 degree views of the ocean, the skyline. You can see the cruise ships and you can see the whole Malacan, like the beach boardwalk there. So that was a tip we had found out about. So we made our way over there and we couldn't believe it. You know, $3 beers and a free pool to use and amazing views. I mean, that is my absolute number one recommendation. If anybody's taking a Mexican Riviera cruise that stops in Mazatlan, is head over to the Best Western. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And after Mazatlan, what was next? Uh, We went to Puerto Vallarta, which neither of us had ever been there. And um, I didn't know a lot about it. You know, I think everybody hears about Puerto Vallarta. I just thought it was a beach town. I did not realize it's like a little uh, Mexican Palm Springs. It's really cute. A lot of uh, cute boutique shops and theaters and, you know, beautiful public parks and benches and fountains everywhere you look. 
all the hotels have those beautiful like Mexican courtyards with the um, cast iron railings and the the fountains and the like overhead draped flags and lighting. It was beautiful. And we took Ubers everywhere all over Puerto Vallarta, Mazatlan. I mean, Ubers, you know, in Mexico can be like four or five dollars mm-hmm. to get around from one side of the city to the next. So it's just a great day in Puerto Vallarta. We went along the beach, out onto the pier, all kinds of great shopping there, too. Was that your last port of call? It was, yeah, yeah. So after Puerto Vallarta, we made the trek a couple sea days up the coast and back to Los Angeles. And then you make your way back to LA. And how was Debark? So easy. We were heading to Disneyland afterwards. And so we wanted to try and get to the park as close to opening as possible so we could rope drop some rides. And we just did our own self-disembarkation, grabbed our own luggage. And as soon as they said that we were ready to go, we headed our way out, I think, you know, about a five, 10 minute walk off the ship. And they're using the facial recognition in um, Long Beach. So really easy to get right off the ship. Nice. So that's just like the ones down here in Florida where you just snaps your face, gives you a green light and you keep walking. Yeah. You wind up spending more time fumbling to uh, put your passport away than right. anything else. <laughs> yeah. That's what takes the most amount of time. So one thing that was that was a little weird was that there were no taxis or Ubers or ride shares anywhere. So we were going to take an Uber down to Disneyland and it would take like five, 10 minutes before it found a driver. And then the driver would be an hour away. So that was a little surprising. So we made our way over to the taxi stand. I would say we waited about 30 minutes for a cab to come out. There was just a long line for taxis. I think everybody was having the rideshare issues that we were. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's about $100 from the port down to Disneyland, if anybody's interested in doing that. But that early in the morning, we were able to get no traffic. We flew right down to Anaheim and we were in Disneyland. I would say we were in Disneyland by like quarter after nine. Did y'all stay a couple of days down there? Yeah, we did. We stayed at that Hyatt on mm-hmm. the corner of South Harbor and Catella and gotcha. did the, the trek to and from Disneyland every day. Yeah, I was trying to think what it cost. When I got off Carnival Radiance in October, I went down to uh, Anaheim for a couple of days. And it was a, it was right around like 108 or $110 from Long Beach to the... Uh, I stayed at the Embassy Suites at the, at the Orange County Convention Center there. I wasn't expecting to pay <laughs> over $100 for the fare, but here we are. I know. And... Apparently there is like, you could take an Uber over to like Long Beach, somewhere in Long Beach, and then take another Uber and it drops the price pretty dramatically. And that was kind of going to be our original plan. But once we saw how few ride shares were available, we just figured it was worth the money. Yeah, I just pulled it up. It was $108.39 and it took 44 minutes from Long Beach to the hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were expecting it to take about that long. And we had a guy who just had a lead foot. And nice. I think we made the trip in about 30 minutes. Nice. So let's talk about the uh, any first time tips you may have to offer for anyone sailing navigator of the seas. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going on Navigator, you probably want to have that extra at sea day because the ship is in great shape. The crew is really fantastic. And even though now I think some of the lines have created larger ships, Navigator might seem a little small. It's still a mega sized ship. There's still fantastic water slides. There's lots of bars, there's lounges, you've got your hot tubs, your pools, you've got your flow rider, you've got your rock climbing wall. I mean, it has all the activities that you expect from a royal ship. So there's a lot to explore. So I wouldn't 
take a look at it and think, oh, I'm going on a small cruise and there's not going to be a ton to do. So give yourself that extra time on the ship and book an itinerary with an extra sea day, I think. Looking back here, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you? Definitely the crew in the bamboo room. Caleb, he's our man there. And uh, the other thing that's really great about Navigator that I haven't seen on too many ships anymore is you can really walk all the way around the ship. So if you go out to the walking track, you can go out right to the bow of the ship and you can have your Jack and Rose moment or, you know, your Leo <laughs> moment. You can be the king of the world. Or you can have a kiss right out there. It's awesome to just stand right there, right at the tip of the bow of the ship um, for sail away. We did that when we were in Cabo. We went out there and hung out on the helipad. So that was really cool. Is it one of those things where everyone knows about it or you had had the whole thing to yourself pretty much? Nobody knew about it. That was what was great because when you're going down the outdoor promenade and you're going past the shuffleboard decks, there's some stairs that go up and it seems like people are pretty timid to go up the stairs to the next deck. Mm -hmm. But I followed somebody out there one day I was just curious where they were headed. And we discovered it, I think, on like the third day of the cruise, even though we'd been walking the promenade a few times. So, yeah, it's terrific. They also have really great seating back for the aft of the ship. If you want to watch um, some aft sunsets, you can do that. And up at the top of the ship, there's a great lounge with about a 180 view of the sea. So we went up there one night for sunset. Uh, so there's a lot of great places to catch views of the ocean. Uh, two things I didn't ask you about. Uh, how about the smoke situation in and around the casino? And if you had the Wi-Fi package and how was it if you did? Yeah, the Wi-Fi, I'm not 100% sure if they had switched over to Starlink just yet, but the Wi-Fi worked great. We were able to jump on a Zoom. We were able to stream some YouTube videos, no problem. So really good Wi-Fi throughout. I think it was a little touch and go one of the C days, but that was mm -hmm. it. The casino, you know, it's funny because we walked the promenade inside the ship on the first day and the smell from the casino coming up the staircase was really overpowering. And my friend really is turned off by cigarette smoke. So we were a little worried about the casino. But then after the first day, we never noticed it. And I went into the casino one of the sea days and nobody in there was smoking and I didn't smell it at all. Okay, very nice. Well, how about your final thoughts of Navigator of the Seas in closing here? Yeah, like I said, there's a lot to do on Navigator of the Seas. And for the price, you know, with the way they're pricing that class of ship now, it's really a great value. I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to get the fantastic deal that we got, <laughs> but even still, it's competitively priced. And it was honestly one of the best cruises I've ever taken. We liked it so much, we wound up booking its sister ship Mariner of the Seas while we were on board. So we're going to be doing that in 2024. Definitely recommend it, whether you like the big ships, the small ships, it definitely felt laid back, but there's still tons to do. Very good. I've been talking with Jeff about his seven-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Navigator of the Seas from L.A. down to the Mexican Riviera and back. Jeff, always good talking to you, my friend, and thank you so much for giving this review. Same. Thanks, Doug. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast 
or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.